Section 12 of Unknown London by Walter George Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 London's Lost King. Lost, the statue of a king. Lost, that is, to London this past century and a half, but not to the country of its creation. If travel leads your steps north, you will find in the beautiful grounds of Newby Hall near Ripon Yorks raised in front of the mansion the historical but forgotten statue of king charles the second trampling on the prostrate protector oliver originally it stood where to-day is the mansion house it was the one architectural adornment of the old stocks market the king astride a pawing horse being mounted on a high pedestal but little honoured i fear by the fishwives the vegetable and herb sellers and the butchers who till the middle eighteenth century kept his company and made this central spot in the city noisy with their cries the stocks market has gone stalls name and all long since the lord mayor's stocks have disappeared wherein many a vagrom man has been held fast by the legs st christopher in stocks church no longer stands the entire parish church and churchyard have been swallowed up in the bank of england the passer-by occasionally gets a glimpse through frowning portals of the pretty garden within the bank, bright in summer with the gorgeous colouring of flowers, amidst which a fountain plays. That was the churchyard. After the building over of the ground, the interment of one Jenkins, a bank clerk, was allowed there. He stood seven feet six inches high, and his burial took place within the bank in order to defeat the body-snatchers who might be covetous for so rich a prize. Sir Robert Viner, the Prince of Goldsmiths, was the donor of the Stocks Market statue, an episode in his picturesque career, baronet, alderman, sheriff, lord mayor, and much more. A genial soul, addicted to good living, he was a familiar figure in Restoration days. Pepys, who loved bright company, kept an account with him, knew him well, and often in the diary mentions his activities in the King's interests, for Viner possessed money and Charles did not and there was the bond that linked the two. Goldsmith and banker, he was indeed the chief financier of his day, the man with whom Charles, in his many and devious shifts for money, could not do without. He gave Charles his crown, literally, for the state jewels, having been sold or pawned by Charles I and the Parliament to provide funds for the opposing armies, Sir Robert Viner advanced thirty-two thousand pounds to furnish a new set of regalia, Charles ruined him, leaving him when, by an arbitrary act, the king closed the exchequer in January 1672, an unsatisfied creditor for £416,000. Viner shouldered his burden, and struggled along to eventual bankruptcy, protected by royal command forbidding his clients to sue him, and an annual payment of interest promised but long deferred and in his broad-mindedness he seems to have borne the king no malice. He is best remembered by an anecdote told of a city feast in his mayoralty, whereat the king, stealing away to his coach in Guildhall Yard, was seized by the hand by his host, who cried with an oath, "'Sire, you shall stay and take t'other bottle.' Charles, ready and wit, replied with the line of an old song, "'He that is drunk is as great as a king.' and the two jovial monarchs returned to the table to finish their carouse. 
the great fire of london in sixteen sixty six swept the full length of lombard street on its second day viner's fine house there the typical mansion of a rich city merchant stood in a pleasant garden where now is a branch post office and it burnt with the rest but his wealth being largely in bonds and securities was easily removed while the flames were still threatening the king sent an order to windsor castle that viner's securities monies and jewels should be safe lodged there and appointed also a place for him in order that his labours for the crown should continue undisturbed the city churches destroyed in the great fire included st mary woolchurch hall and a finer and larger stocks market being afterwards determined upon the site of the church and graveyard were thrown into it what more befitting so central a position than a statue raised to the greatness of charles the second so thought sir robert with whom loyalty was the very life-blood when surely the most curious combination of circumstances that has ever occurred placed such a statue within his reach the story has run with a ripple of laughter it chanced that john sobieski king of poland having slaughtered a vast number of turks and so saved vienna his ambassador in england ordered an equestrian statue of his master commemorative of the victory sobieski engrossed with larger affairs did not send his ambassador the money with which to pay the sculptor and pending a settlement of this vital matter the statue lay boxed up on tower wharf below london bridge awaiting exportation that was viner's opportunity and he was prompt to seize it the sculptor forgotten but meritorious put vigor into his work representing sobieski in warrior's dress trampling upon a helpless turk the goldsmith purchased the statue and disregarding the incongruities of costume had the head of the polish king replaced by that of charles the second and the features of the turk lying prostrate under his horse's feet altered to those of oliver cromwell thus manoeuvred the statue arose on this spot in honour of the sovereign it was dedicated on the anniversary of the king's birthday in sixteen seventy two walpole says that latham carved the head of king charles there is not the least doubt about the story which the oriental attire and headdress of the betrampled cromwell as still to be seen at newby hall fully bear out note there is another version of the origin of the statue that viner first heard of it from his agent at leghorn that he acquired it for a mere song and shipped it from the continent to tower wharf i do not know which is true End note. naturally the lampooners made busy one wrote these lines some years after the erection of the statue could robert viner have foreseen the glorious triumph of his master the woolchurch statue gold had been which now is made of alabaster but wise men think had it been wood twere for a bankrupt king too good those that the fabric well consider do of it diversely discourse some pass their censure on the rider others their judgment on the horse most say the steed's a goodly thing but all agree tis a lewd king andrew marvell when member of parliament for hull spent his satire upon the ill-judged statue in lines which passed from hand to hand but attained print only posthumously in order to understand them remember that the equestrian figure was set up after the general ruin which attended the closing of the exchequer so sir robert advanced the king's statue in token of a broker defeated and lombard street broken 
some thought it a mighty and generous deed obliging the city with a king on a steed when with honour he might from his word have gone back he that waits for a calm is absolved by a rack by all it appears from the first to the last to be a revenge and a malice forecast upon the king's birthday to set up a thing that shows him a monkey more like than a king when each one that passes finds fault with the horse yet all do assure that the king is much worse and some by its likeness sir robert suspect that he did for the king his own statue erect but with all his faults pray give us our king as ever you hope in december for spring for though the whole world cannot show such another we had better have him than his bigoted brother not less biting in their allusions are verses on a dialogue between two horses the steeds bearing the figures of charles i at charing cross and charles ii at the stocks market have joined company at night their riders having dismounted the father to visit archbishop laud the son to seek more questionable associates an anonymous writer of the next century gave in satirical form the last dying speech and confession of the horse at stocks market ye whimsical people of london's fair town who one year put up what the next year you pull down full sixty-one years have i stood in this place and never till now met with any disgrace what affront to crowned heads could you offer more bare than to pull down a king to make room for a mayor the great sobieski on horse with long tail i first represented when set up for sale a turk as you see was placed under my feet to prove o'er the sultan my triumph complete when the king was restored you then in a trice called me charles the second and by way of device said the old whiskered turk had oliver's face though you know to be conquered he ne'er felt the disgrace as the market is moved i'm obliged to retreat i could stay there no longer with nothing to eat now the herbs and the greens are all carried away i must trot unto those who will find me in hay the city bore with the statue a constant shaft of opprobrium and ridicule for two-thirds of a century when in seventeen thirty eight the closing of the stocks market and clearance of the ground for building the mansion house left it on hand what to do with it was a problem the civic fathers could not solve they had then more experience of the stuarts in no way enlarging the popularity of that dynasty a hanoverian sat on the british throne rider and horse were laid aside for several years out of sight in a builder's shed and when memory of them had faded the common council in the year seventeen seventy nine presented the statue to robert viner a descendant of the loyal lord mayor it was set up by him at gutby park lincolnshire and its last migration was in eighteen eighty three to newby hall the yorkshire seat of the present head of the viner family where to-day it stands such in brief is the story of the stocks market statue and one wonders if another royal effigy has ever had such adventures end of chapter twelve